we are actually, my goal is to actually, in essence, do an overview of the first six chapters of Joshua because it's where the Lord has led me as we were praying about 2017. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We've got so much to cover, as you might imagine. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> so let's pray, friends. Lord, I want to thank you so much for every person who is here. I want to thank you, Lord. Though this building is chilly, it is not remotely as cold as it is outside. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've put a theme on my heart and I pray you would cause me to to deliver that message clean and clear. We would understand better and we would hear you speak to us personally and not just hear you, uh, just hear words being spoken. And Lord, you know where each of us are and you know what we need to hear and how to speak into those situations, Lord, and only you can do that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to each of us now in this time. Radically minister, Lord. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, God, that I would just be a vessel you would use. God, immerse me that you would be the one seeing your ambitions, your priorities. And so have your way now, Lord, I pray. Please radically maneuver our hearts as we prepare for communion this day, the first day in 2017. And we want to give our lives to you and let this be a part of that, we pray. In Jesus' name, speak fluent us now. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. I'd like you to consider how many great men of the Old Testament didn't end well. Noah ended up drunk, Lot in an incestuous relationship with his daughters because he was drunk. Moses didn't even make it into the promised land. We think of great judges like Gideon, who, by the way, turns to idolatry. And we don't even need to mention Samson's testosterone madness or Jonah, for instance. Uh, and, of course, his nastiness is, even as, and his personality David would fall to adultery and murder and Solomon would stock his house with every earthly lust and diversion, so much so that his heart would be dispersed, if you will, in every direction uh, that, of course, his house was stocked with. Even the entire nation itself would fall over and over and over again, revert, reproach, repent, repeat as necessary. But Joshua, on the other hand, this is just one of the rare cats in Scripture that just never blows it. He never turns. And it doesn't mean he's not human, and it doesn't mean he's never sinned, but it does show me somebody I want to model my life after in that sense. And I'm just in praying as I pray, Lord, give us vision about what you have for our fellowship and what you want to do for the ministry here and what you have in 2017. And the Lord brought me to this and I didn't even go, Lord, are you sure? I just went, all right, Lord, let's go for a walk. 
Now, his name, Joshua, Yehoshua, he was born with the name Hoshea, which means salvation. But his name will get changed by Moses, if you will, from salvation to God's salvation, Yehoshua. Uh, he's introduced in Exodus 17 as a soldier. He's a servant. He's a spy. Deuteronomy 34 and, New, and Numbers 27 tell us he was spirit-filled. But the one thing that really stands out is in Numbers 32, where it tells us of all the people who bailed and turned and died, it tells us on this guy, though, this Joshua character, it says that he fully followed the Lord. We'll read about Solomon who didn't set his heart fully to follow the Lord. And yet Joshua, this man in Scripture, the reason why he starts and ends well is because the guy really made a commitment to do more than kind to follow. To do more than just step when it seemed convenient. He committed himself to fully following the Lord. So much so that by the end of his life, at the end of his 24 chapter book, if you will, Joshua will say in the simplest sense, you guys can decide for yourselves who it is you want to serve. But as for me and my house, there's no decision to be made. We've already made it. We're going to serve the Lord. And I love a guy that starts that way and ends that way. And the book of Joshua, in its simplest sense, breaks into half. The first half, the battles to be conquered, the land to be conquered. The second half, the land to be dispersed. There'll be radical changes. Moses is off the scene. They will say goodbye to manna and to the pillar of presence and water from all kinds of unusual resources, if you will. The book will have over 30 different opponents uh, and armies to battle, if you will. But in the simplest sense of it, this is a guy who we find is willing to not bend unless God bends him. And I love this guy for that. And I want to be more like this guy as I look at it. Roughly 400 years ago, our forefathers walked in the land that was a promise to Joshua that Joshua saw 40 years ago when Moses, if you will, dropped his sandals to follow God. And now we'll find even in chapter 1, he will have to drop his sandals to follow God. And I think it's interesting because in the desert, if you were to remove your sandals, the only safe place to step is where the person in front of you stepped prior. Think it through. I mean, the desert's a dangerous place for several reasons, including the animals that live underneath that sand. And certainly the heat of the sand alone is danger. And the only place that's safe is to step in the footsteps of the person who walks in front of you. And what I love about Joshua, just like Moses in that sense, is that Joshua has to walk behind the footsteps, not of Moses, but of the Lord. The difference between Joshua and Moses is that Joshua will fully do so. And what we're going to find in 2017 is that the real battle is a battle of following fully. That's what God really wants. That God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I recognize it won't make sense to the world. It won't be applauded by them. And even people who love us will think it's crazy (coughs) that every step we take wants to be, in, if you will, in the shadow of and in the imprint of the Lord who has walked before us. But he tells us, and we'll see that in chapter 1, that every step of a righteous man has been already walked by God. Here's the good news. It will not demand brilliance. If you're brilliant, that's great, but it won't demand it. But it will demand bravery, and it will demand great strength. What seems really clear is, if we're going to really obey God and really fully follow Him, it is going to take bravery and great strength. 
great strength so we don't step backwards into the world we once knew that was comfortable and familiar or uncomfortable but familiar and great bravery to step forward where we've never gone before. 1 Corinthians makes really clear that God is less interested in crafting heroes and more interested in calling the humble and the humble will follow him. So behind us, as we prepare for chapter 1, the one chapter will go through, if you will, in more length, and then the others will pull excerpts, if you will, to oversee it. Behind us is a graveyard of consequences of those who chose not to walk in God's ways. And if you look at it, the, the past is vacant and vast. Spaces of faces that once were, people we once knew, familiar faces, close friends that we laughed with and we dreamt with, now they're all buried in the sand. Big empty space now where we saw faces. And we can look around and see the same. But it's hard to see in that the mercy. But there's great mercy in that. Because buried in that sand are also the echo of insurrections, complaints, entitlements, incessant pointing out of others back to Egypt or just pointing at others and blame, forgetting the slavery but desiring the cow and the leeks and the garlic. Uh, in this commensurate field of broken-hearted moments, disappointments, frustrations, abandonments, confusions. They needed not only to die, but they needed to be buried. You see, this is why we can't take the old man across the river. The flesh, God's made clear, must be crucified. It's the apex of why we must be born again. And not only be born again, but reckon the old man dead. But it can only be a measurable folly to think that we could carry those dead bodies of that old generation over with us for any benefit whatsoever. Think it through. It would only be infectious, stinky, weighty mementos of death. So the spotlight falls to Joshua now, and it's very different for him. Things look different. They weigh different. They feel different because he no longer stands behind Moses. He's got to lead, and the only way he can lead is by following God. The responsibility of Israel, the reality of Jericho, and the accountability of a people to God. Well, they're all before him like giants. And we read this in chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this, Jordan, you and all this people to the land in which I'm giving them the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness of this and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. The first command God gave Joshua was to cross the river. He told them it is time to cross. Not only you, but all of these people. He doesn't call them your people. He calls them this people the same way he called the river this river. But attached with that is a promise that every place that you walk, I've already given you. Notice the text and the tense. He doesn't say every place you set your foot nor your foot shall tread upon, I will give you. He says, I've already given it to you. Your responsibility is not to go and earn the land. Your responsibility is to walk. My responsibility is to give it. What we're going to find is these 30 or so battles, including Jericho, they're not the battle. They're the gift. 
The battle will be in obedience. And there's the beauty in it. And God says, look it, I'm asking you to walk and it's my job to give you. But I love the fact that he lays out some territory from west to east. West, the great river of the, of the Mediterranean, to the east, the great river Euphrates. Now, to put that into kind of uh, perspective, and it's important to note this. If we went due west of Jerusalem, we'd find ourselves at roughly about Ashdod. If we went due east to try to find ourselves at Euphrates, we'd find ourselves at a place called the Jafarach, roughly somewhere right underneath 600 miles. So let's put that into perspective. Shamar, God tells you that every place you want to walk, he's going to give you. Cross the river, walk with him. And then he tells you that you can walk basically from here to Berlin or from here to Prague and every place in between is yours. It is beyond walking distance. God tells us that every place you're going to walk, you cannot outwalk God's promise. And I do love that about him. And then he tells us in verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you. Notice he doesn't say no man will try. The term stand before you was the term panim. Panim is the Hebrew word for face. Well, it's plural, faces. And the idea of no one's going to be able to kind of get in your face and stay there. Because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he tells us this is a challenge then in verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land in which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law in which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Notice that the promise of God's presence proceeds God's call to courage. You need to recognize God didn't demand you be courageous before he told you he'd be there. God never demands for you to be courageous without him because God will never leave you nor forsake you, so you'll never have to be without Him. But notice in this text, it takes strength and courage to fully follow. If we're going to really fully follow the Lord as we should, it's going to take great strength. And it is going to take great courage. And if this is a year of doing things God's way, a year of fully following, you need to hear the heart of God in this. Because he tells us, I want to prosper you. I want to bless you. Now, that doesn't mean he may give you the Bentley or the house in Chelsea, but rather that God wants to prosper you with the one thing that God can give that man can't. And that is overflow. Because in the overflow of God's presence, all the things man seeks, but man cannot find. Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness self-control, all those things that we seek are in abundance. And God says, I want to prosper you. I want to put you in this place of abundance, of overflow. But to put you in this place of overflow, I need you to do this. I need you to fully follow me because I'm not interested in blessing your mess. And for too long, we could try to take one step in God's way and one step on our own and ask God to bless us 100%. 
And yet God says, this is the year. This is the year that I need you to be strong. This is the year I need you to be courageous. Because this year is the year of great blessing. But that great blessing starts with this. And I'm going to give you the acronym GRACE. Each chapter, a letter from that word. And the first is the G of grace. And in chapter 1, God tells us to go courageously. Now he tells him to cross the river. And then he tells us this, that Joshua then starts to gather the people. Look at verse 10. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan and go and possess the land in which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And then he tells us in verses 12 through 15 about two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land in which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given you rest as he has given you. He has given your brethren rest as he has given you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Back in Numbers chapter 32, Reuben tribe and half of the tribe of Manasseh met when they were there on the eastern side of the Jordan, the same place, if you will, where Israel is now. And they said, you know, this is good enough. We really don't want to cross the river. We'd rather stay on this side. And Moses calling their bluff because either they did this because they said the land's plentiful and it's beautiful for us. We're shepherds and this is green land, good for us as shepherds. And Moses says, well, either you really mean it or you're afraid of the fight. So I tell you what, come in and fight with us and then go back and live here. And they said, sure, which tells us they really did want the land more than just being fearful of the fight. So look at this. In verses 10 and 11, Moses gathers his officers. He gathers, if you will, his leaders and tells them, be ready to cross. We've got a whole new beautiful thing to encounter. But for that, I want you guys to help me get the people ready. But then God makes clear there will always be the two and a half tribes. Look at They're going to cross the river, but their home really isn't there. Their home is back on the other side. And what God tells us is, let them fight with you. Consider them family, but it's not your job to make them stay there. Let them live where they want to live. Now, granted, the two and a half tribes are going to be in danger, and they will be the first to fall. They will be the closest to the enemy, and therefore will be the beachfront when the enemy comes to attack. They'll be the first to get the, the attack, because they'll be the closest to the world around them. However, God makes clear there will be the two and a half there will be those who will come and they will fight, but then they'll come and they'll go back to the river, on the other side of the river where they belong. And God just tells them, let them do that. Let them fight with you and then let them go home. You can't keep them anyways. God never called them your people. So the people respond in verse 16. Joshua, they say to Joshua, all that you command us we will do and wherever you send us we will go. 
Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Four different times in this text, Joshua, who starts as a soldier, is being told, courage up, man. Be strong. Now, the term strong, chatak, is a term we use often in regards to hardening a heart. We might say it this way, fully commit. To be strong wasn't just like, hey, pop some steroids, juice up, start working out, start you know, pumping out those weights. The idea here that this strength was a strength of conviction. This strength was a strength of faith, a strength of choice. Not just being strong, like make sure you're the most buff guy in town. And four different times he's being told, buck up and be a man. Make a commitment beyond just the fair weather here and there. Because the challenges that will beset you here will demand a real commitment. And a commitment that you can't just sort of wash and be tossed by the tide on this. Truth be told, four different times to the man who, by the way, God is going to choose to let the people lead the people into the place of fruitfulness and a place of God's divine blessing is a man that is being told on four occasions in chapter one, hey, listen, commit to this, commit to this because there are battles to be fought and they are all going to be won because the only real battle there really is is are you going to fully follow or not? The rest of the chapters we'll overview because I want us to take some time as we prepare for communion today. But I want you to realize where we start this. The G of grace to go. God wants us to go and He wants us to go courageously. He wants us not to sit quietly and hide in a corner and try to hope that the world will pass us by. But if there is victory to be gained, He wants us going. He tells us, Are you guys ready to step forward? Not just to look back. Let's face it, and we're going to see that as we move forward here in these chapters. To not dwell in the wilderness, but to move forward. In chapter 2, we'll pick it up at verse 9 through 13. It tells us here, is now Rechav the harlot speaks to to the two spies that were sent into Jericho. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that terror has, uh, of you has befallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, (coughs) excuse me, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. The irony was how afraid Israel was of Canaan, and yet Canaan is shaking in their boots over Israel. 
The 40 years that they have now been wandering in the wilderness have built up a repertoire, a reputation of victories, and that's being recounted here in this text. This girl, if you will, the word on the streets, as a woman of the streets, a girl who knows the word on the streets, tends to know that it isn't just the Red Sea that they walk through that becomes part of their rap sheet, but rather as well, the victories they've had over two giants, Og and Bishan, we see here, Sihon and Og. And they look and they say, those guys were big. Those were big boys. And their armies were big men. And when they went down, we realized we were no match. And I want you to realize the time we have had in the wilderness that God has made clear was a wilderness time for us. What it did is it developed a rap sheet for us. How we were going to respond. How we were going to respond to things that should destroy people. Things that should have ripped apart lives and did in some cases. And what I love about this is that this was more than just a woman making clear that Israel is to be feared. But what God shows us here is that He plants a person on the inside. Israel is about to take a land and what God does before they've even walked in those footsteps is He's already put somebody there who claims that God is the God. Our God is the God of heaven above and on earth beneath. And I love the fact that the R of grace in chapter 2 is to receive openly whom God places on the inside. Let them profess the Lord as God of heaven and earth. But I love the fact that the Lord knows how to plant people right in your life and in mine too. Plant people in perfect position so that when you step in, the last thing you would have expected was a prostitute, by the way, who we'll see when we get to the book of Ruth, will actually be in the lineage of King David and ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, as well. And here, all we know is she was a working girl that God placed in a position that recognizes that this God is the real God. And it doesn't matter where they've come from. It matters who they're facing and what they're going to do with the living God. The question is, are we willing to pray? And I'm going to be praying this, and I ask you to join me. God, open up doors of people on the inside as we cross the river, as we seek the Lord for great victory. What is it going to be like? Lord, put people that are in great positions, like a woman on the wall. Give us people in right positions that are going to claim you as the living God, that are willing to show us and give us that space we're in a need. So as they receive the helpers, ultimately they will be sent out. And that takes us to chapter 3. In chapter 3, I'll only read three verses, verses 3 through 5. The officers now of the people, the ones that Joshua had called to prepare the people, now command the people in verse 3. And it says, They, the officers, commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. There shall be space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in nature. By the way, that was what they'll call ultimately a Sabbath day's journey. Do not come near it, that you may know the way in which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. <coughs> and Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders 
among you. This is new territory, therefore you must follow. The tendency is to follow from the front. And we think we're following, but we're ahead of God. And I have children, I know how this works. And we've led, I can't tell you how many trips to places like Israel. And there will always be someone that's a butterfly chaser. And there's always somebody that's in essence a power walker. Now, when you've got a group of 20 or 30 or 80 people, inevitably, you have to try to find a happy medium that rushes the slowest person and slows down the fastest. But inevitably, the person who walks a little quicker than the pace tends to be a little bit frustrated at the way that it's moving. So they tend to walk, even though they have no clue where they're going, they will tend to walk ahead of you. So we have this tendency when they do such a thing is to try to take the rest of the crew once we get near a corner somewhere and bow out behind the corner and see how far they walk. And ultimately, they'll look back and realize that they're standing there by themselves. And and sometimes people learn a lesson from that. Sometimes people don't. I have two children who have done this. Our first child, by the way, we would come time where she would take that walk and she would not know where she was going. We'd kind of duck out. She'd walk for a little bit, realize she was by herself, and that was enough for her to come back. It was a great lesson learned. But our second child, she just keeps going. Keep her in prayer. In this text, God says, if you're going to walk in victory, you must walk behind me. The G is to go courageously. The R is to receive, as God has made here, receive openly. But the A is to allow trustingly. We allow God to lead. We trust Him in it. Not only the where, but the when. And this is the part of giving God enough space so that when God stops, we don't keep going. There is a reason why the ambulance tells you, back off, buddy. Don't follow closely. And understand in this, God tells us, I want to cross this river and I've got a place of great fruitfulness and a a place of great blessing, but I need you to not write the script. What I need you to do is trust me, I've already planted people on the inside for you to receive. They're already there. God knew they were there. I mean, think about it. These guys, two spies, are going out and they're trying to figure out where in the world to kind of find. And look, they're looking for is a way in the, think about it, they're looking for a way in the, in, in the wall. That's what they're trying to do. So the way in the wall happens to be the way of a prostitute. But do you think for a moment they would have ever expected, oh my goodness, this gal is going to ultimately be in the lineage to birth our greatest king. Here, God says, now listen, if you're going to fully follow, you need to be able to see my footsteps to walk in them. And it is not a problem because even though I can follow the ark at a distance, That doesn't mean that I have to walk distant from God. So then we get to chapter 4. So the G, go courageously. The R, receive openly. The A, allow trustingly. Chapter 4, and I'll read you the first three verses. And you can see how quickly we're walking through this text. And again, I remind you, don't just believe me. Read the rest of it and check it for yourself. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it tells us, It came to pass 
when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, and from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, and you shall carry them over and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. The Lord's first act, He tells the priests to carry the ark. I remind you, stay that distance so that the ark could go in first. During this time, the river overflows its banks, so this is high time for the river. And with that, it says, you need to let the priests lead this. And as they step in, God dries the land. But they not only dry the land, God makes special mention, and of course we've talked about it before, that He does so over a 100 miles north in the area of Adam, a city called Adam beside a city called Zeratam. This flow, Yordan, which means from judgment, stops at a place called a man beside a place called Zeratan, which means their distress. And the Dead Sea is no longer fed because God stacks it so that His people can cross. And who leads them across to do that? Joshua does. But as the ground dries up and the people walk through, God says, look it, I want you to do something now. I want you to grab stones. By the way, did you notice He didn't say nine and a half stones? He could have said, you know, and then you know, those two and a half tribes on the other side, don't grab stones for those jokers. Instead, he says, 12 stones, so 12 stones we're going to grab. But what I love the most in this, please hear me, is that God did not say, grab 12 bags of sand from the wilderness, because that's what I do. Probably that's what you do too. As we have more a tendency to grab mementos or monuments of our harder times, But God does not say here, grab 12 bags of sand so that somehow you could remember what it was like, how hard it was in the wilderness. But rather, I want you to commemorate how amazing it is that you crossed the Jordan because that was a miracle. The fact that you got to the other side of the river could only have happened by my hand and you need to recognize that miracle needs to be commemorated, not that you need to spend all your time thinking about how hard it was in the wilderness. Hey, the wilderness is a hard time. And when people you love fall off and wind up underneath the sand, it hurts. And we bear the scars of people we love that we've seen fall off. God says you don't need reminders of that because they're already there. What you forget about are those amazing moments when I did something so cool, so miraculous, that you were like, whoa, check this out. And understand, Joshua and Caleb are the only two men of that first generation that are going to go over, which means everybody else is a youngin. There's no great elders here to help give us some form of understanding. A lot of those people, most of those people were born in the wilderness. And that's all they knew until they crossed the Jordan. And as they crossed the Jordan, God says, now listen, I want you to commemorate thankfully. And that's the sea of grace in chapter 4. Commemorate thankfully. Do you have anything to remind you of those great moments when God carried you over? Let's face it, sometimes 
<laughs> the scar and the pain is fresh. And so you can, you can look at the picture and be reminded of someone you were close to. You're not. But what about those moments where God did something so beautiful and so profound that all you can do is, every time you see it, is be thankful? Where are those things? You know, we have a hard time. We could put a tattoo on us to remind us of that horrible time. But when was the last time we did anything to commemorate something amazing? Last night, one of the most amazing events in, since I've been in London, and it would have seemed inconsequential for the most. You see, every year during New Year's, we used to just bring in the New Year with praise. Oh, this year's a little rough. We had just moved, as most of you were aware of. And it's been a little bit unwell, and therefore it's been a little bit rough to kind of plan to be outside or be up. Although, I'll be honest, about a third of London was right outside our window, so there wasn't much to do. We didn't have much of a choice. But as the house got quiet for a moment, it was about a quarter till, we started hearing this voice. It was the voice of my daughter. And you pray for for legacy. You pray for to make a difference in someone's life, and that those moments, those important things, matter. And when you sit there and you hear your daughter praising God, anyways, it just makes all the difference in the world. And you're like God for the moment. Everything is great. That's a moment I need to commemorate. Because that to me is so much more important than all the heartbreak. And if all the heartbreak still somehow led to that, it would still be worth it. I'm like, God, just thank you. Nobody was, there was nothing scheduled, there was nothing demanded. It just a girl on her knees in a dark room praising God because it was in her heart to do so. And I want to thank God for that. When was the last time we stacked stones because God crossed the river, carried us across? And we just so got to stop building these monuments, these memorials to hard times. You know, there's certain songs, you know it like I do, we can listen to it, and no matter how happy we are, we're depressed by the time we're done with that song. It's time to start ditching those playlists. Because God is about to lead us in victory, and there's no time to look back at those things. We've learned our lessons, we move forward. But he says, now grab stones and get them out of the river so that from this point on, when you're children, because they'll hear about the wilderness. They'll hear about the hard times. They'll know about that stuff. But what they won't realize is that I obviously knew that they crossed the Jordan somehow. But what they won't realize is that I did this, God speaking. And he's like, your kids need to know. They need to know that I'm still a God who does miracles and I'm still a God who gets you over. Commemorate thankfully. 
Because if I'm really going to follow in God's footsteps and I'm going to follow fully like Joshua did, I can't do that looking backwards. I can only do it thanking God for those moments that give me greater hope to know that every step he takes is a good one. Chapter 5, verse 7. So Joshua circumcised the sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. I think that's wise. And then the Lord said to Joshua, and this is God speaking now, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place was called Rolling Away, Gilgal, to this day. I don't know if you actually have ever put these two things together in verses 7 to 9. But needless to say, and I want to be careful how I say this in a mixed room, It is amazing how uncircumcising the wilderness makes you. Nobody in the wilderness seemed to be circumcised. Interesting in Scripture, twice more, more than twice more, in Scripture God will speak about circumcising the heart than He will any other part of the body. And certainly the most tender part of the human flesh for a man to have something like a flint knife then at you, it couldn't be an it couldn't be a pleasant experience. It's a very very painful experience, and the purpose of it ultimately is to take that part that was protected and expose it, the part that would be the most tender. But beloved, I need to tell you, this isn't just a a chapter for men. To be honest, I think that we'd rather the women read this chapter than us, in that sense. But the wilderness has this way of sealing up your heart because we get hurt there. And when we get hurt there, we don't feel anything. We'd rather be numb than feel pain because we feel like survival means that if we could just sort of protect ourselves, we can make it through that's not really living and that really isn't victory and that certainly is an abundant life. So we get hurt and we go, you know what, forget it. I'm going to wall this thing up and our hearts then kind of seal up in a way that in the wilderness God goes, look at if we're going to cross the river and we're going to really see the victory God has ordained, you're going to have to let God cut that thing open again. What's going to happen when God cuts open our hearts? It's going to feel pain. And did you notice God did not let them go into following him into the battle until that healed? For some of you, I already know God's doing this. But he's going to cut that thing open because what he really wants is he's like, look at hard-hearted people are not to enter into the battle. Because if so, we'd be more interested in winning the battle than we would the person. And we'd rather win. And you watch people do this. We can all do it. But we get caught up in some kind of argument where all we want to do is win the argument. Even to someone we love, and even if we have to hurt the person we love, that's less important at the moment than just winning. And that just seems so crazy to me. Because at that moment, 
We're less about feeling and, and opening ourselves up and being tender, and we're more just about trying to get some kind of crazy victory. But I remind you, the victory is the Lord's. And in this particular chapter, I want you to recognize as we bring this around now, we're in our final chapter of this. God really wants us to emerge victoriously. And that's the E in grace, is to emerge victoriously. But to emerge means we have to let God cut us out. We can't just box ourselves in and wall ourselves up and go, I am not going to let the world touch me. Because unfortunately, when you walk in the wilderness, you know who you get hurt by more? It's actually each other. I mean, think it through. It wasn't like the greatest threats. Most of the time, we're actually outside of the camp. The bigger threats were always inside the camp, pointing us back to Egypt, saying, who died and made you boss? You know, trying to raise up people and saying, we're going to do this instead of you. Hey, those things all happen inside the camp. And when you watch those things happen inside the camp, you start getting fearful of fellowship. And that is a real tragedy. So you say, well, you know, forget it. I'm not going to be part of a church. Forget it. I'm not going to be a part of a thing like that because I don't want to be around people who can hurt me. I'll go to the clubs and the bars. Yeah, like that's going to help you. And the only difference is, is you just kind of expect it to happen there. But if my only success is in fully following, I cannot fully follow God with a closed heart. And God really, really wants us today to know that he has got a victory for every one of us and he wants to carry us over. But for that to happen, we have to be willing to let him open our hearts again. You're like, well, could they get hurt? I'll be honest with you, they could very well get hurt. But I'll be honest, if you've not felt anything and you feel pain for the first time, at least you know you're alive. And that is really huge. So finally, it tells us this in our last verses, starting in verse 10 to 15. Then the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the days, I'm sorry, on the plains of Jericho. They are now at the threshold. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain, and on that very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they'd eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, and he said to him, Are you for us or our adversaries? Whose team are you on? And he said to him, No. This doesn't seem to answer the question. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come as commander. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, well, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. The way that this ends here is for Joshua, just like Moses, to remove his sandal and know that the only way that he's going to be able to walk is to follow in God's footsteps. He gets to stand before the commander-in-chief of the whole army of heaven. What would you do? So listen, 2017, you've got a river to cross, and you can't do it on your own, but you're going to need to be strong, and you're going to need to be courageous if you're going to obey God and do it His way to fully 
follow because true obedience takes strength and courage. But God will always prosper obedience doing it his way. And then God will provide insiders. Watch for them even in unlikely places and receive them openly. Don't consume yourself with the opposition. They're more frightened of you than you know. Your time in the wilderness has earned you a rap sheet that they still read. And three, if I'm going to cross, I must follow. I mean, there's no leading God. It's His timing and His places, but following at the distance that lets Him lead properly. Four, stop building memorials of the wilderness and start building monuments of God's faithfulness. And then five, open my heart. Because what's interesting is, notice He says, once they were circumcised, now I have removed the reproach of Egypt. Did you notice that? What a fascinating statement to put together. Rolled away the reproach. The reproach. What a strange thing. Cherpa. It means the disgrace or the shame. And understand, though God got them out of Egypt 40 years prior, what God needed to do to get Egypt out of them was to cut open that heart because the real shame of Egypt the shame of your bondage, the reproach of your bondage, the disgrace of your bondage, and my bondage is a hard heart. Because it's the hard heart that says you look just like the rest of the world. And it's the tender heart that is led by God that people look and go, you're not from around here, are you? God looks and He says, look at In the simplest sense, open your heart and drop your shoes. I'm about to do something amazing. So with that in mind, Jericho will not be the battle. It will be the gift. The battle will be, are you willing to open your heart and drop your shoe and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to go courageously. And I will receive openly whoever it is that you put and plant in my life for that purpose that's willing to admit you as the God of heaven and earth. And I will allow trustingly for you to lead. And I will commemorate thankfully those great moments that you've shown yourself faithful over and over that I can notice. (coughs) And in the end, (coughs) I want to emerge victoriously. As we go to prayer, and we prepare for communion, beloved, today God wants us to know that He wants to prosper us in this year. But for this to happen... My, my suggestion is this is fully follow 17. That's the way my life is going to look. I want to follow God fully. And I want to follow Him, Lord, in a way that You today, Lord, move in us so that we could today walk where You lead us, not lead You and hope that You'll catch up. Oh, Lord, today move in us. Move in us and give us the faith to follow You fully. And let this year be a year, Lord, where we see your prosperity. Not prosperity like you give us lots of stuff. You're welcome to do that, but we don't want it to lead us astray. But the greatest prosperity would be the impact that you make with us on the lives of the people in this world. So, Lord, we want us to cast up our treasures, Lord, in heaven, store them there, not here. And I pray today, Lord, for every one of us, as we prepare this day, to serve You, as we prepare this day to follow You, let this be a year where we say, this is fully follow 17 and I'm going to follow my Lord. So Lord, lead us. Lead us over the river. 
Lord, lead us out of the wilderness and lead us into that place, Lord, where it's victory after victory after victory. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for us. Thank you for paying for all of our sins and our filth and our shame. And Lord, we recognize if we don't open our hearts to you, it would be silly to think that we're calling you Lord. But our hearts are being opened, Lord, and as you cut them open and prepare them even right now, Lord, let this be a day that you are glorified and let this be a year where we live in constant wonder. Oh God, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you for dying on that cross to pay for all of those sins, all of that shame, and thank you for raising from the dead to give us a brand new life. As we prepare for communion now, as we prepare to go to the table of the Lord, let me ask you, have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible tells us we are not to partake of these things if we've not accepted him. But better yet, why not receive his gift right now? Why not receive that gift of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for your sins, his resurrection to give you that new life, that you could follow him too today? And I want to give you the the opportunity, if you will, to honor you enough to give you the choice to make in that. And then after we pray that prayer, we're going to have communion. And we are going to celebrate the God who carries us over, who doesn't just lead us out of Egypt and then lead Egypt out of us, but to lead us to that place of fruitfulness and great blessing. And here's the prayer. God, I'm a sinner and my sin makes me guilty before you. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all my sin could be properly punished. And just like Scripture promised, he died there, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And on that third day raising again, he demands to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I say, yes, have me now. I am yours. I give my life to you. I hand myself over to you. So please now, lead me. Lead me out of my bondage and lead me into that place of great blessing in you where I could be a blessing to others and a delight to you. I hand myself to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say amen. And Lord, today here in this room as we prepare to go to your table, may this be a time where we can say we will fully follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.